0: Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Revelation chapter fourteen, and uh, we can taste the end of Revelation from here. But we're not quite ready. Revelation chapter fourteen, and uh, we have talked about these folks before, and and we will we'll recap some of that, and then we'll go into some other ground. But we're in Revelation chapter fourteen, and let's read verses one to five. And I looked, and lo a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and and that's the same as Zion, but it's a different spelling, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. No, that's not about your wife, that is in heaven. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne, and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which followed the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Uh, we, we're, we'll talk about this, who, we, who they uh, are according to Scripture, and some surmisings, but hopefully not evil surmisings. But one thing we know for sure, we know, who do you know for sure that they are not? Anyone want to raise your hand and say, what do you think? Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. They're not. How do we know that? Because it lists the hundred and forty four thousand in the Bible, a thousand from twelve different tribes. And uh, as much as people would say that, in fact, from what I understand, they've moved on from that particular claim in in some areas. Uh, They're not looking to be part of the 144,000, but to be in the new earth and so forth. If you want to know more about that and have interest, talk to uh, Brother James Kelly back here. He was raised for a while, anyhow, in your life as a Jehovah's Witness. And uh, I think you're out of that now, right? I think he's... He said he's going to, he's planning to, uh, but uh, he likes to go down and, and preach on the street when they have the big JW convention here in town, and, uh, and he has a real burden for those folks, but uh, I, I, you know, I don't know very many people I have heard, but I've never met, uh, other than Brother James, someone who was hardcore Jehovah's Witness and then got saved. And it's partly because uh, the way that they're trained is specifically to go after people like Baptists who don't know their Bible, uh, like the Pentecostals, go after newly saved people, try to get them filled with the Holy Ghost. And that the whole thing is built around that. In fact, Charles Taze Russell was a Bible-believing Christian before he went off the rails. And then he decided to go ahead and, you know, get this thing going. And then after 144,000 was capped out, then they kept rolling. Now they got new stuff. And... And, uh, and and you have to do that if you're going to go with heresy. So we, don't, we, we know that there is a, a definite number of people. But let's talk about, uh, first of all, where they are. What's their location? It tells us here they're standing with the Lamb on the Mount Sion. And uh, the, the, the Scripture tells us that the earth is... Is a copy in many ways of heaven. Not that in heaven they have a copy of things on the earth. No, what we have on the earth is a copy of things that were in heaven. For instance, Hebrews tells us that uh, Moses was to make the tabernacle after the pattern that he saw in the mount. He saw a pattern and uh, we would think, well, he saw a blueprint. No, he saw the the real tabernacle. And so he made the earthly tabernacle based on the heavenly one. And of course, that was, you know, tabernacle 1.0. might have been the beta version. I don't know, because it was really rough, made out of animal skins and the whole nine yards. And then they did the upgrade, of course, when they built the temple. Uh, Solomon built the temple. And there have been several versions since then. But the whole idea is that there is a temple in heaven. There is a Mount Sion in heaven. Uh, and, and heaven, sometimes we think of as, um, as a city. And truly there is, we know that there is a city that comes down out of heaven, but heaven is a much bigger place than we can even imagine. Uh, it, and, and we think of it as one location. Well, what happens to heaven when the new Jerusalem comes down? Is it just an empty hole? No, it is one city, the capital city of heaven, and it descends, and the temple of God is with man. And so the rest of heaven is there, but there is a, there is a mountain there. And of course there's a mountain. You realize in the, in the uh, millennium, the Lord is going to cause the topography of the world to change and adjust, and all of the world is going to flow up to Jerusalem. Somehow or other, he's going to he's going to make all those little hills to just be a gradual ascent up to Jerusalem. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal change in geography. And the, and, the, and by the way, um, geologists will tell you that in you know a million years or so, the the uh, continents are going to drift and actually assemble again. So it's not like these things, you know, are not even considered. Uh, the Lord's just going to make it happen much more quickly because the whole purpose is I want my, I've set my king upon my holy hill of Zion, and, and all of the world to worship Jesus Christ. And uh, so, but but Hebrews chapter twelve, I put that reference there for you. He's he's talking about the the. He said, You are come unto Mount Sion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable company of angels. So I put down here, I don't know whether they're uh, standing on the Mount Sion on the earth or in heaven. I know that they sing this song in heaven, verses 3 and 4 and so forth, but um, there's a possibility. If you remember, we talked about how when Israel flees, they they confront or they're met by Jesus Christ um, on on a mountain, or or rather in the wilderness. I don't think that that's what this is referring to here. But the idea of them assembling on a mountain, being sealed, uh, we know that Moses and Elijah met Jesus Christ on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And they are the two witnesses but then we have 144,000 witnesses of which Moses and Elijah are a are part in the sense that they are connected with their ministry. And so there could be something there that there's a connection of, uh, of anointing and commissioning. But either way, we know that there is a Mount Zion in heaven. A lamb is there. Um, and again, these, these things, uh, as we make theories and hypotheses, we prove or disprove them by the Bible. But if you're not careful, if you're not thinking about, I wonder if that means that in the Bible, then you're not really, um, you're not going to really grow as a Christian. And, and because if we just approach and say, well, the, we already know what the Bible says. It says A and B and C and D and all the rest of that. And that is true. But if that is true, the whole purpose of the Christian life is just to know certain doctrines and believe them, then why do you even need the Bible? Right? So we, we have to continue to read, we have to make connections, and we have to prove or disprove them. Most of mine are disproved. I have these ideas and then I disprove them with the Bible. And that's okay. Because you don't come to hear somebody who knows the Bible perfectly. You ought to come, regardless of who's preaching... You ought to just come to church because you're assembled with a body, not with a pastor. That's why it's so important for us to talk to one another before and after church. If all you do is come in, sit down, get up, and walk out, you're not really a member of a church. And, and uh, this is a side note, but it'd be like saying, my hand does whatever it wants. It's not really a member of my body. It works with the rest of my body to put food in my face. It's very important that that hand works properly. And it helps me. And, and, and in return, I try not to hit it with hammers or slam it in doors or, or knock it against something that's sharp or ragged. I try to take care of this hand. We have mutual benefit. And that's what a church is all about. And, in, and, and why I say that is uh, if you just come to hear what I say, then you're really missing out on what God intends for you as a believer really. And I mean, we're going to have the word, the word's going to be exalted and I'm going to preach no doubt about it, but, uh, it's important for you to connect with believers, even if they are weird and boy, they are Amen. Now let's talk about their sealing. This is Roman numeral two. They're sealed with the name of the lamb's father in their foreheads. They are sealed to mark God's personal protection. And I want you to see in Revelation chapter 5 very quickly that they are sealed before the seven-sealed book is opened. So the Lamb takes the seven-sealed book in chapter five. And, and then in verse, and then, and then we have in chapter seven, flip over to chapter seven. After these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. Hang on to that thought. That the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of a living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. So notice, we got these four angels about to to... Take the earth down. They're going to hurt the earth in a great way. But the the angel ascends having the seal of the living God. He says, hold on, boys. He says in verse three, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And he goes on to talk about the hundred and forty four thousand. And so we have here these literal Jewish virgin men who are sealed before the seven sealed book is open, before the lamb opens the seals. And they're sealed before the very first trumpet because no harm is allowed, you see there in verse number 3, to the trees or the sea or the earth. And the trumpets were going to hurt all of those things. So it tells us that the Jews were sealed before the judgments begin. So that would put the time frame of the 144,000 sealing sometime at the beginning, certainly towards uh, the first part of the tribulation. And then the four angels are allowed to hurt the earth and the sea and the trees. So what they're saying is, I want to let you guys loose, but I'm going to protect some people from your judgment that you're about to uh, to bring on the earth. So the 144,000 go through all of that totally unscathed when those horrendous judgments are taking place. And they're going to be a burr in the saddle, under the saddle of Satan. Because he really is upset, he's mad, and he wants to kill. And God says, you can't kill him, and you can't kill him, and you can't kill him. And he says, who can I kill? Just like Job, remember? God held Satan back from killing Job. And so in order to allow the tribulation witnesses to function in the world of the beast without taking his mark, God gives them a special mark of their own. And it looks like... And it, it, it certainly would it's indicated by chapter seven that they receive a special mark, the name of the of the lamb's father before the mark of the beast, which would go to which would really fit with Satan, because Satan is a great counterfeiter. You remember how, when when Moses put down his rod, the Egyptian pharaoh, Egyptian magicians put down their rod. When Moses uh, turned the water into blood, they turned the water into blood. They were always copying. So God does something first, and then Satan does something. So what happens is, go to Ezekiel chapter nine, and let's look at the Old Testament and see how this thing fits together. He seeks out some faithful men in his holy city. Because this sealing, this sealing takes place on earth. And here's one of the reasons I'm not convinced that the sealing happens or a commissioning necessarily happens on a mountain because of Ezekiel chapter 9. Look at verse 3. The glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. So we see the glory of God had departed. He called to the man clothed with linen which had the writer's ink horn By his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof, the ones that are sad about the killing and the destruction. And to the others he said in mine hearing, go ye after him through the city and smite and let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. So these faithful men have a seal placed on their forehead, a mark, and they take the, the, they take the open end of a writer's uh, in, writing instrument, they dip it in the ink horn, and then they put it on the forehead of these men, and it might, it might, in the case of Revelation 14 and chapter 7, it might pass might pass for the mark of the beast, depending on when the, uh, when the mark shows up. I, I believe the mark shows up first, uh, this mark here in, in Ezekiel 9, this, this idea of God sealing his servants before the mark of the beast. But either way, uh, there is, the devil is trying to counterfeit this mark, and God has sealed. Something to keep in mind: if you weren't here the last time, we had a uh, we talked about the 144,000. There is a possibility that people in the tribulation take the mark because they don't believe that the new test, the Jews, that is, will be willing to take the mark because all they know about the mark is from the Old Testament, which Cain received a mark to protect him. These people here receive a mark to protect them. So when you get to the, to the book of Revelation, uh, an Orthodox Jew or even a, you know, a, a casual Jew, a secular Jew, is not going to receive the New Testament. And the New Testament is where we find out about how nefarious and evil the, Satan, the, the mark of the beast, is. And so there's a possibility there uh, that it looks like something that God wants them to do. We know that the beast is worshipped, and we know that in the Old Testament that there was a mark given to Cain, there was a mark given to these folks in Ezekiel, and so there's a possibility. Just something else to think. There's always another layer that we don't consider, but when we start putting those things together, oh man, that, that could possibly be. Um, Either way, we understand that the uh, that there are two different marks here, we'll see that in the Song of Moses. Now, in the letter B, these witnesses shall be strong, according to Daniel eleven, and do exploits and shall instruct many. So these one hundred forty four thousand guys, if you will, they're like um, the Apostle Paul. They are rough, tough, and hard to bluff. You got one hundred forty four thousand intense Jewish apostles. As it were, they're not called apostles, but they're prophets. I mean, they are hide bound, they are they are saddle worn, and they can take a hit and keep on ticking. It doesn't bother them a bit, and and they have the the ability to do miracles. It appears, and they have the the power even to to bring you know breathe fire or cause fire to come down from heaven. These types of things, if they're connected with Moses and Elijah in that way, either way, they are providentially preserved. And so you couldn't kill them if you wanted to. You could take a shotgun and point it right at their chest and pull the trigger. Ain't nothing gonna happen. And you know how irritating preachers can be? You know how irritating Christians can be who are insistent on something? What if that person was in your grill and you couldn't get rid of them? And you couldn't kill them? And all your buddies couldn't kill them? And that's the 144,000. And what happens as they go, they really make Satan and his ilk mad, but they get a lot of people saved. They get a lot of people believing in the, the Lamb of God. And so they're doing a phenomenal work. Just like uh, Paul said, neither count I my life dear to myself. He said, I, I, I don't even consider my own life as, as valuable because uh, I'd rather be in heaven anyhow. So I'm just going to you know, literally break my neck. I don't know what these guys are doing, but if they're imper- impervious to injury, I don't know if they're jumping off buildings. I, I don't know what they're doing. I'm-, I'm not saying they are. There's no indication in Scripture that they are. But the idea is that they're unkillable. They're- they-, they can't be stopped. They just keep coming. I don't know about you. I kind of like that idea. Because in in this world in which we live, we're we're despised and we're weak and we're supposed to be persecuted. And many of our brothers and sisters have been and many of them are being persecuted right now in jail, beaten for the cause of Christ. And I just like the idea of the Energizer bunny that does not stop. And the Lord, he serves up 144,000 of those. Now I want you to see something else in here they are let number two they are um, I'm sorry number one he seals these to be a special messengers and he finally finds a group who will do it the Jews finally fulfill God's purposes he's been trying to get this done and finally these guys are getting it done they are the chosen they are the future elect they are the witnesses of Jesus they are the prophets. They are the preachers for the word of God. So um, there's another reference, other plenty of Matthew 25. You know when you talk about the virgins in the parables, that's who we're talking about. The 144,000 virgins. And so you think about, you know, what is he talking about? Some, some are ready, some are not ready. What, what is he talking about? He's talking about this time frame right here. He's talking about 144,000. There are some, the sealed ones are locked in, but then there are some who the, the 144,000 witness to who go up, who go down, who prevaricate back and forth. They, they change, they're not quite sure, they're in, they're out. Will they take the mark? Will they not? Will they stand up for the, 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 the testimony of Jesus or will they give in? That's the ones that they're referring to in the book, in the, in the Gospels. And that'll help you because, you know, what, what is he talking about? Talking about these virgins who some have their lamps and some don't. He's referring to the tribulation period. All right, now, letter number three, they are the harvest laborers. They go throughout the whole earth before the Son of Man returns, and they preach the kingdom gospel. And in Mark chapter 13, they are the elect um, whose days are shortened. And the indication is that they will be killed. Now, let's talk about their song. Revelation 14 says in verse number two, he said, I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And it says, they sung as it were a new song before the throne. So you've got harps, you've got singers and uh, there's 144,000 people that are singing. Well, I, I wanted to see if I could find something similar because it, it does sound like many waters. You hear the roar of a crowd, 100,000 people? It sounds like a waterfall and there's a lot of uh, cool connections there but uh, I wanna play for you the biggest, the largest male voice choir ever assembled that I'm aware of from 1993. Uh, this was in Wales. I think there are ten thousand guys in the uh, in the choir Wow the end so you 've got one hundred and forty four thousand this is like times fourteen. singing in Welsh. Sing this song uh, in church You've heard, we've sung it before i am coming lord coming now to thee that's the same song Pick you up the whole time, but it's amazing. It's just, it, it just fills your heart. You know, I have to say this from a cultural standpoint: th- the the pop music of the day cannot do that. It can't. It's too, it's too dirty. It's too personal. It's selfish. It's small minded. It's nasty. It's intended to be very sensual. It doesn't raise up your heart. It's not noble. It's not ennobling. It doesn't, you could not sing the pop songs with 10,000 people with that kind of unity. There's no way in the world. Why? It's not designed for that. It's designed for very personal, private selfishness. What I want, what I, what I, not only what I want, what I am going to take. And it's just the opposite spirit. And is it any wonder that that kind of stuff has to go? We've got to get it out of our culture. Satan is pushing, pushing, pushing. You know what people sing today? The, the closest thing they ever sing together is take me out to the ball game. That's the largest group that you'll ever have just about, uh, or some crazy, the same rock songs at every NFL, every college, every high school game. They sing the same ones. We will rock you. And I don't even know all the rest of them. And it's just ridiculous. It's, 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 I could go forever on that. When we're talking here in Revelation 14, we're talking about a pure song a song that comes from a heart that's been redeemed, that knows it's his creator who loves God and is standing in pure holiness and pure love before the creator and lifting up those voices. And that's just a fraction here, 144,000, just a fraction of the people that are in heaven. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Don't let the devil tell you that, uh, you know, you got nothing to look forward to. Um, You can look forward to that. And by the way, if you struggle with music, um, you ought to get rid of the junk that you're listening to and listen to stuff like that. Because even if those guys are not saved, the music itself is cleaner and purer. It, it, you, you've got to listen to pure, clean music. And it's, it's hard to find nowadays. It's hard to find. I should say, it's hard to find if you don't try. Because the, everybody's trying to get you to buy their stuff. The, the love of money is the root of all evil. And so the advertisement goes, 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 goes. You, get, you, know, you can't buy, you can't go into the grocery store, you can't go into the hardware store, you can't go anywhere without pop music. And you realize, do you realize that they're paying for every single play in the restaurant, right? You'll, you'll, I mean, do you know they pay for every time Happy Birthday to You is played somewhere? Uh, it, it, everything is licensed and copyrighted. And so having pure, clean music, sometimes we like to sing old songs just to remind us that we're not the first humans on the planet. There have been a lot of people ahead of us, before us, that have sung beautiful music. And, uh, and by the way, the Welsh are some great people to listen to. They have really cool choirs still today. Uh, they, they just were, the history of their involvement in music is really cool. And uh, when Ira Sankey went over there to England, they loved him. And uh, that's where they picked up that song, I'm pretty sure. Uh, okay, so this is their song. Now, they're singing this new song, and I want you to look at Revelation 15 and see here in verse 1 he says, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. Verse 2 saw as it were a sea of glass and uh, mingled with fire them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of god and they sing the song of moses the servant of god and the song of the lamb okay so you have these songs what what are these songs well it appears that the song of moses and the song of the lamb are part of that new song They make up that new song because it's used somewhat interchangeably. Uh, Look back, if you would, at chapter 5, verse 8. It says, when they had taken the book, the four and beast and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. Uh, Interesting. We, We don't use that in our worship service. Smells. We have people that are, are, you know, some smells don't smell good to some people. But in heaven, they use the sense of smell in the worship. The Catholic Church tries to use this with incense, but I just don't think it smells good. I don't know if you think it does. I've never thought it smells good. But that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to bring in the sense of smell into the worship service and make it more, um, you know, sensual. Sorry for the pun there, but that's the way it is. Um, He says... uh, They sung verse, verse nine, and they sung a new song. Now this song is to the lamb, verse number eight. You see, it fell down before the lamb. They sung a new song. Thou art worthy to take the Lamb. The, the, take the book. The Lamb is worthy. And to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So what you have in the, in the tribulation is a combination of the law of Moses and the testimony of Jesus. Jesus. Those two things are there because God intends to restore the nation to Israel. He will restore Israel, and he's going to reinstitute that law. So you you have the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb. Now, the Song of Moses is very interesting. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 32. And we won't take the time to go there because it's very long. But you can see in that song, there is a reference to the spot. And he and it says in verse five, they have corrupted themselves. Their spot is not the spot of his children. They are a perverse and crooked generation. That's uh, Deuteronomy thirty two five. And uh, you've heard when people say their rock is not as our rock, or that that's what what uh, what God said about their rock is not as our rock about his people, or Moses said that. And and the spot is different as well. So you can see. Uh, The 144,000 and others included Singing about the fact that there's a different spot That their spot is corrupt It's the spot of the leopard, the leopard beast That the beast who desires worship for himself But couldn't keep himself alive And, And we don't have that spot We have a spot, and what is that? It is the spot of the Father's name written in our foreheads That's what we have And it's completely separate. You know what that tells us? Um, The devil's always going to counterfeit. But it also tells us that if the world offers it something to you that you have to have, there is a corollary in a spiritual realm that God also offers to you. The devil tells you and your flesh tells you, if I can't have what the world says, then I get nothing. No, the principle of replacement is important in the life of a believer. So you stop listening to rap music that has violent lyrics and objectifies women. So what do you do? I guess I can't listen to any other the music. I'm not trying to be unkind. How immature are you to think that that's the only thing that's out there? There's so many other good things that you could fill your mind with. Well, if I can't watch dirty junk television and the latest TV shows, what could I possibly watch? Well, number one, you don't have to watch anything. That's a possibility. Okay. Number two, there's a lot of other stuff that's not junk. You might find, I don't really like stuff that's not junk. Your flesh says, I want it. I want it. And your flesh might be so used to eating junk food that it's not used to healthy food. So you got to stop with the junk food. And you know what? You're going to scream and cry. Just like the brat in the grocery store. If I can't get that, I am going to embarrass myself and everybody else. I'm going to make their lives miserable. Be careful that you don't do that in your own attitude and spirit. And think, well, if I can't have that, I'm just going to throw a fit. And I'm going to make fun of every Christian I know and every church and every preacher I know. And everything. I can't stand it, blah, blah, blah. You're a brat. Stop it. All right? That's what Mr. Newhart said. Stop it. Now, we talk about the song of Moses, song of the lamb. Let's talk about their identifying characteristics. Letter 4, Roman numeral 4. It says, "These are they which were not defiled with women for they are virgins. These are they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault." Before the throne of God, Revelation fourteen four and five. They are virgins, not defiled with women. You'll find in uh, the KJV, virgins in the plural always applies to the one hundred forty four thousand, and that's nice uh, when you do some cross references. Uh, the cross references help learn, help you learn the Bible so much. The characteristic of the tribulation will be spiritual fornication. Look down at verse eight. Babylon has fallen, has fallen that great city because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Speaking of fornication in the spiritual realm, commercial realm, and of course, that leads to the physical. Okay, so here's the thought. If you have problems with uh, addiction to sexual perversion, it is a physical problem, yes, but there's always a spiritual component There's always a spiritual component in any addiction. So you say, I can't, I can't. Wait a minute. I thought I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I just can't. I just can't. What you're doing is arguing with the word of God. Because he said, I can do all things through Christ. Not through myself, not through my my stubborn nature, not because that's who I am and who my family is. We hang, no. Get rid of your flesh. Your flesh, it will always look for an outlet. So if it doesn't get it in drinking, it's going to get it somewhere else. Your flesh is wicked. Okay? My flesh is wicked. I've been in church every Sunday as far as long as I can remember. My flesh is wicked. My flesh never got saved. My flesh never likes going to church unless it's an opportunity for me to look better than someone else. Then I love me some church. But you don't believe that, do you? Why? Our flesh is our flesh. But it's dead. So you don't have to worry about its power. It is dead. It has no power over you. But it's a great liar. It tells you that it does have power over you. I can't stop this. I can't stop that. And you can. You can. Notice here, the fornication is not a part of these men's lives. They are virgins. You say it's impossible. No, it's not. I don't know if you know this or not. Sex is not one of the great needs of mankind. It's actually a commission. Be fruitful and multiply. But it's not a need. You need food, you need water, and you need sleep and shelter. That's what you need. You say, well, how? Jesus Christ himself lived for 33 years with no sexual relations. You know what the world tells us? You can't live without it. And furthermore, it is wrong for you to live without it. It's a lie of the devil. It's a lie of the devil. Now, it's natural and normal and right within the construct of marriage. God said to the husband and wife, be fruitful and multiply. Marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongering and adultery, God will judge. And Jesus said, I'm taking it out just the physical realm, and I'm making sure you guys remember it's also in the mental realm. If you look upon a woman to lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery with her. And you know, He's not worried about the distinctions between fornication and adultery. Which one is it? No, He said, You look on to lust, you've committed adultery with her. So we have to be careful as believers that we don't buy into the the, the wickedness of the culture in which we live. They can't sell chewing gum without sex. Amen. Amen. What should we do? We don't get on our high horse. My purity is not found in my physical body. My purity is found in Jesus Christ. I have holiness and righteousness that comes from Christ, not from my faithful, consistent attitude in my flesh, from my disciplined flesh. No. But since I have Christ, I have the spirit of Christ in me, I have the power to live as Christ did. Why wouldn't I want to? Now, I I realize that people are quiet here tonight because they're already doing this. Amen? Amen. They're already on top of it. They're already making sure they're, they're faithful. Listen, guys, we have to be careful in our hearts. You know, fornication and adultery doesn't just start in the physical realm. You know how long people have been working on this thing before they commit? Months! Years! Years! They've been letting this thing go forever. And if you ever find yourself thinking, man, I wonder what it'd be like to be with somebody other than my spouse. You already are too far down the path. You better stop to and drop to your knees right now and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. My old nature is trying to run away. And God, I want you to know I am yielded to you and this flesh and this body belongs to you. And I acknowledge that I am dead. That flesh is dead and I am dead unto it. Listen. It, it, it this it starts in the mind where you think no one knows. You let it go. Guess who knows? God knows. Hello. Amen. All right. Here we go. Let's get back. Let's get back to normal stuff. Amen. Not these things that we deal with all the time. He says. Then letter B, they follow the lamb. Letter C, they were redeemed, being the first fruits. Redeemed from the earth in verse 3. Redeemed from among men in verse 4. He uses those two things. And then letter D. There is no guile in their mouth. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no what? Guile. What's, what's the synonym for guile? Deceit? Yeah. Lies? Prevarication? You call it whatever, what you want. Peter said about Jesus, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And then letter E, they are without fault. So all men are born with an Adamic nature, but they're not responsible or held accountable for their sin until they reach what someone called the age of accountability. Why is that? The Bible says sin is not imputed when there is no law in in Romans chapter 5. And so the idea is You are a sinner by nature. Your child sins. But it's not until your child realizes that they are breaking a law. That they know they are doing wrong and they do it anyhow. That's when sin is imputed to them. I mean, so a kid can uh, break a window and not realize what he's doing. But it's when a child knows that you said you can't do something and the child's mad and so the child goes and breaks the window because of that thing. And even more so, when you've told them, do not, never throw this, anything in the house. Don't throw a ball, don't throw whatever. And they throw it, knowing that they are sinning. They pick it up and they throw it. Uh, they are now held accountable for that. And there's a connection uh, with, with nakedness. Um, some, somehow or other, it seems like kids, when they realize that they're naked, they're self-aware... Of what's going on to right around that age. Uh, it lines up with Adam and Eve when they knew that they were naked um, because of their sin. So, but, but these folks are without fault. It does not say sin, but without fault. Sin is not imputed it's under the law. James said, confess your faults one to another, not sin. So, there is a difference between sin and fault. So, in other words, these are not uh, people born without a sin nature. But apparently, they are... They have either confessed everything, or perhaps they are um, before the age of accountability. And that's where it leads me to uh, conjecture. And I say capital C, conjecture. I want to take a few minutes, and I want to look at this with you, that the 144,000 possibly, maybe, could be resurrected Israelites. All right, And I want you to go to Matthew chapter 2 and Jeremiah 31. We're going to look at a a couple different options. Matthew chapter 2 and Jeremiah 31. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth, and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under. According to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, would not be comforted because they are not. Let's go back to Jeremiah and see what he meant. Jeremy is the Greek rendition of Jeremiah, the Hebrew name. Jeremiah chapter 31, 13. It says, Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance. Who will rejoice in the dance? The virgin. And he says, Both young men and old together. For I will turn their mourning into joy, will comfort them, make them rejoice from their sorrow. And I will satiate the soul of the priest with fatness, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Here he's about to, uh, this verse is what Matthew was quoting. Thus saith the Lord. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rahel, Rahel, uh, Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes eyes from tears. Stop crying about the babies, about the people who were killed. Why? For thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. So, Matthew is referring to the slaughter. He connects the slaughter in Bethlehem with the, uh, with the passage in Jeremiah, but he, he does not include this idea they'll come again from the land of the enemy. But I want you to think about this. He does say, all the children that were in Bethlehem. So you may be thinking, how in the world are you going to get 144,000 kids that were in Bethlehem? There's probably no way whatsoever. But he does say, in all the coasts thereof. That's a possibility, and um, let, let's keep let's look at another possibility here. Revelation chapter seven. We read it. I won't have you go there. Go go to Ezekiel thirty-seven. Ezekiel thirty-seven. Remember, we started with Revelation seven, where the four angels stand on the four corners of the earth, and they were holding what? The four winds. The four winds of the earth. And what happens is Revelation 7 then goes on to number the 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe. Preceding that, you had the angel holding the four winds. Look at Ezekiel 37, verse 9. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain. That they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried, and our hope is lost, for we are cut off for our parts. Uh, So there's a possible connection there. The whole house of Israel, you have 144,000. 12,000 from every tribe. You know that the Greek Orthodox Church, uh, December the 28th, they, fe- they celebrate the Feast of the Holy Innocents. And they assert that Herod killed, um, I think they say 14,000 boys. The Syrians talk about 64,000. And there are Coptic authors that speak of 144,000. Um, either way, the idea of some resurrected. People being brought to life. It's certainly not unknown in the scripture. You have Moses and Elijah who already have been here and who already were, were, uh, well, Moses was killed. Elijah was taken up by a whirlwind, But, but, but Moses died physically on the earth. And then the Lord brings him back. Apparently, he is one of the two witnesses, and he dies again. So it's not unprecedented in Scripture to have this idea. And then if you were to add in, uh, we have right before that passage in Matthew 2, we can't go there now, but Jesus was just coming from a foreign country Uh, when he came back into that foreign country. uh, he, He went away because of this right here. What was the foreign country? Egypt. Can you think of any other great Israelite who was spared from a slaughter of children in Egypt? Moses. Moses was put in the bulrushes and, and Pharaoh killed all the boys that were born. The, the girls he let live, but he didn't want any boys so that they wouldn't have any further generations. And it's interesting to think about what if the 144,000 were a combination of different uh, slain Israelites from the past that God now assembles and brings forward to take to be his witness uh, in, the, in the tribulation period. I want you to look at Isaiah 53. Something to think about here. A um, couple more verses just to give you some uh, food for thought. Isaiah 53, look at verse 7. This is the great messianic psalm. It says, "...he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth." He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. What does it say? Who, who, does, who, do, who do the 144,000 follow wherever he goes? They follow the lamb. And in Isaiah 53, there's an interesting, not exact, but, but uh, Peter uses this connection. Isaiah 53, let me, let me turn it over there. It says, in verse nine, he made his grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Guile and deceit are used interchangeably. Peter uses; he quotes this: "He, he, he had, who, did, who did no sin, neither was any guile found in his mouth." That's what that's what Peter quoted it as under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So there's a connection there that that's the kind of people we're talking about. The 144,000 people, uh, virgins, they have a connection with the, with the very um, character of Jesus Christ. They follow the Lamb. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Did you notice that it says in Revelation 14? Did you notice that it said that they were the first fruits? very interesting first fruits it says they are being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb oh, okay so 1 Corinthians 15, 20. but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept in verse 23 but every man in his own order Christ the first fruits afterward they that are Christ at his coming now we know that there are the first fruits there's the there's the gleanings there's the first fruits and or the first fruits the harvest and the gleanings but didn't Jesus, when, when he came back from the dead, it says that many of the saints arose and they came into Jerusalem? Remember that? So there was a bunch of people who were in Abraham's bosom, and then at his resurrection, they came back to life. And they were there, and then Christ took, he led captivity captive. Now, I don't know exactly who went when, uh, I have always thought of him leaving the heart of the earth, leaving Abraham's bosom, taking everybody with him. But there were some that were in Jerusalem, the capital city, walking around, talking. People saw them. And so, again, the idea of Christ the first roots means this. There are going to be more people that are going to be raised later on, but there were some that were raised ahead of time. And it could have been that there was people like this that who were innocent. I mean, you think about it. Jesus, uh, they killed two years and down. That was his generation. And a bunch of people that were in his generation were killed even though they were innocent. They were without guile. And possibly, that's why I put conjecture on there, that maybe they got an, like a, you know, a level up because of, the, of what they went through. I know This God is beholden to no man. And if you have a bad rap over in this area, he will make it up to you over in that area. And so I can just see the Lord saying, I'm going to take care of you guys in a special way. But I want you to go to uh, one more place tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to give you a, a a spiritual devotional thought here to help you. Because in a way, you and I are like the 144,000. In a way. Not from a physical standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint. The Bible tells us that we are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed till the day of redemption. Okay? And because you are in Christ... Your future is just as certain, your mission and objective is just as important as the 144,000 mission objective and agenda and end. It's just as important. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to encourage you with this. There hath no verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And I'm happy to tell you that temptation uh, is not only temptation to sin directly. Temptation in scripture is used both as an invitation to sin from Satan or from uh, our own desires. It's also used in the sense of testing. God did tempt Abraham. He doesn't tempt anyone with sin, but he allows us to go through t- times of temptation. He, he allowed his son to be tempted. Okay, so we know that the, that the 144,000 are providentially protected. You are providentially protected. It may not feel like it, but God is watching out for you and he cares about what your mental health is. He's watching for your physical health And he's mostly concerned with your heart. And he can keep you. You think, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I know the piano is going to fall on my head. Well, I can tell you this. If God allows a piano to fall on your head, it will only be the piano that he allows. God will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. You say, I can't do it anymore, God. I just can't. Happy to tell you, you don't have to. God will make a way for you to escape that ye may be able to bear it. To bear it. Now, people say often, God will never put something on you more than you can handle. But that's not really what he said. He said a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. I don't know about you. I'm not interested in bearing it. I don't need a way to escape. Just take it away completely. If you take it away, we'll be fine. The Lord says, I'm not taking it away. My grace is sufficient for thee. Sufficient for what? To bear it. I want you to think of yourself, if you will, as in a competition, some kind of competition. Maybe it's Navy SEAL training. Can you do it? Maybe it's a competition of, are you smart enough? Are you strong enough? Do you have enough heart? Can you love enough? And, and, and imagine God allowing you to go through this very difficult training. And he told you before you went into it, he told you that it was going to be tough. Did he not? Well, you're in it, and now it's really tough. And you want to quit. And you want to ring the bell and say, I'm done. You want to throw in the towel. But let me ask you this. If you are fully convinced That God would not put more on you than you could handle, then there's gotta be a reason why He's allowing this in your life. And if He's letting you go through this, and He told you, I won't kill you with this, it's not gonna hurt you long term. Hang on, I will let you go through this, and I will be there with you. And you knew that, if you were convinced of that, that God was going through, do you really wanna quit? If it's training and God's trying to teach you something and it's a test, do you really want him to say you don't have to take the test? I don't. I don't. You know what I really don't want? I really don't want to be in this test and I really don't want to take this test. But what I, what I don't want any, even more, I don't want him to stop the test. Why? Because if he thinks it's good for me and he thinks I can make it, And he thinks I'll be better at the end of it. I'm going to let it ride. I'm going to go through with it. Don't stop the test, Lord. Especially if I have to learn it in the future anyhow again. Don't stop it now. Let it ride. Lord, you'll help me. If you'll help me and you said you would, I'm going to go through this very difficult phase in my life. In this time, I'm willing to trust you because you said you wouldn't put more on me that I could handle. You said you would give me a way to escape so that I could carry this burden with joy. And God can give you that joy. We've got folks here tonight that are going through different types of trials. We've got folks that that have victories, have some, some reasons to rejoice. Brother Ed Lawson is able to look at the rearview mirror. And there's cancer back there. Praise God for that, man! What a blessing. We have got Brother Hornbeck. Not sure if he's injured himself this week or not. But, you know, God is blessing in individual but some in individual ways. But sometimes we can look at that and say, God, this is not a blessing; it's a curse. I'm not here to tell you that it's not. I'm not here to tell you what it is. I, all I know is this. He said he'd give you a way to escape that you can carry it. So maybe you need to come tonight and you you need to just get on your knees and you just say, Lord, I'm breaking under the weight of this thing. I can't run. I can't walk. I can't even take a step. But Lord, if you want me to lie here in this on the ground in a puddle of tears with this weight on me, I can do that if it'll bring glory to you. Let me encourage you to come to the Lord, to pray, to open your heart, and, uh, and allow him to help you bear that load. Let's look at our prayer list here tonight as we close.